Luke tells a story one time when Jesus was traveling. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going through Samaria and Galilee. And he came to a certain city, and then ten men met him. And these men were lepers. And they cried out to Jesus, and they said, Lord, heal, heal us. And uh, so Jesus told them, said, go show yourself to the priests. Now, I don't know, showing themselves to the priests was part of the, the old law, but I don't know if these men had any idea why Jesus said this at this time, because nothing had changed, and he didn't do anything for me. He said, just go show, show yourself to the priests. And I want to point out two things uh, about this story. One is that leprosy was a disease that would slowly just eat your body away. And if I remember correctly, like you would get so bad that fingers would fall off. And the good news about it is that it was not a deadly disease. But the bad news is it wouldn't kill you. You know, if you get stage four cancer, you know, you may have two, three, six months to live, but you know eventually it's going to end. With leprosy, you're just going to have it all your life, and there was no cure for it. And so it was a horrible disease to have. I've heard said that uh, uh, leprosy ate away at the body the same way that uh, sin eats away at our soul. So I heard it said that it's representative of that. I don't know if that's true. The other thing about this story I want to point out, Jesus was going through Samaria. The Jews didn't like Samaritans. It would be like if you and I went over to KFC to, to get some chicken for lunch, and, and we were standing there, and we looked over there, and I said, man, that guy looks just like a gang member. Well, if I said he looked like a gang member, you would instantly have all these negative thoughts because you know what gang members are like. You would have negative thoughts. So if the Jews said, oh, he's a Samaritan, they instantly had all these negative thoughts about this is not a good person. Well, anyway, these ten men, they leave Jesus and they go to show themselves to the priest. And uh, on their way, they were all healed. And it says in Luke 17, verse 15, now one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found uh, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, except this Samaritan? And so this morning I would like to talk about gratitude or thankfulness. The, man, the one man came back and he fell on, down on his face and worshipped Jesus and was thankful. Now I'll say first off that I feel like I'm preaching to the choir when I talk about thankfulness because I noticed in Yancey's prayer the first five things he said was we're thankful for this, we're thankful for that. Before he even asked God to do anything for anybody he right away thanked God for five or six things and I think that that all of us or all of you are like that. And then even after Yancey had asked uh, prayers on behalf of one or two people, he again thanked God for the prayers that he had answered. So I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but we all got uh, areas of our life that we're not as good in as we need to, so maybe this will help. And if, it does, if uh, you've already got this down pat, then maybe it will help you to help someone else. Cicero said that gratitude is not only the greatest of the virtues, but the parent of all others. And I think you'll understand this better as we go. If you're not a thankful person, it's hard for anything else in your life to, to be right. Now, gratitude is not something that maybe we even think very much about until it's not there. Uh, you, you're going in the 
door to you know KFC and you open the door and someone walks through and they don't say anything well maybe they got something on their mind you know but well, our first thought is well you're welcome <laughs> uh, I guess all of our kids we've got six kids and I think all of them with the exception of one after they left home came back home now this isn't true of all of them but it's been I it Angie has heard me say on more than one occasion that I'm glad to help them out, but I would at least like to know that they appreciate it. Because we've had one or two kids that just came back and treated us like a hotel, like we were there to serve them and, and come when they want and leave when they want, didn't help with anything, never said thanks. So gratitude is something that we take for granted until it's not there. And Jesus asked, after healing these ten men, he says, where are the other nine? And we read that story and we say, how the gall of those people to not be thankful for this miraculous gift they receive. Jesus condemns uh, ingratitude. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, Jesus or Paul has talked about some pretty sinful people here. And uh, at the end of verse 20, he says, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he talked about God who has given us richly all things to enjoy. And here he talks about some people that even though when they knew he was God, they still were not thankful for all the things he had done. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, or chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. This is not just a, a, a minor sin that we can commit. This is a very serious sin to be unthankful. When, God, when Jesus or Paul or someone talks about unthankfulness he puts it in the midst of a bunch of other sins that we really look down on studies have shown which I kind of think it's funny about studies Brian Fisher says a, a study won't tell you anything other than what you could figure out through common sense and so whether or not you believe the studies just from what you've seen you'll know this is true people that are thankful or grateful tend to be happier friendlier kinder less depressed less stress, they sleep better, they're more content with themselves and their, their relationships, they're more positive, uh, they have more positive ways of dealing with problems, they're less likely to avoid problems, deny there is a problem or blame, someone, blame themselves, and they're less likely to deal with difficulties through substance abuse. And so being a thankful person can just really turn around your life. And that's one reason Cicero said it's not only the greatest of virtues, but it's the parent of all others. When people are grateful, they feel an obligation to reciprocate. When they're thankful for the things that God's blessed them with, their jobs, the money they have, their possessions, they feel like sharing this with others. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. After all he's done for us, isn't that what we would want to do for him? Present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. People that are thankful tend to be that way. So why are people unhappy? 
Well, Dennis Prager talks about the missing tile syndrome. You go into an airport. We went to Ireland recently, and on the way back, uh, we went in, and to make a really long story short, we had to show our passport at least five times and our boarding pass three times, and we went through security twice. So you go through the airport and down these long hallways and through this door and down these stairs and through this and through security again, and you sit down, and we walk through this whole airport, and you sit down, and you look up there, and you know those, those drop-down ceilings where the tiles kind of sit down in there, you can lift them up? You look, and there's one missing. And all you concentrate on is that one missing tile. And here, we just walked through the whole airport, and all the tiles were in place, and we concentrate on that one tile. And that's when people are unthankful. When they go through their lives, and everything is nearly perfect, and they concentrate on the one or two or three missing ceiling tiles in their life. And this is just a, a guaranteed way to unhappiness, the missing tile syndrome, to concentrate on the few things that are missing. Greed and envy, which I think we talked about in some lessons in the past, greed and envy are tied together with this. Greed is, is uh, when you see something, or you may not even have to see that somebody else has got it. There's just something that you want and you really want it in spite of all the good things you've got. Envy is when someone else has something that you don't and you want what they have. One of the Ten Commandments has said, you shall not covet. This is one of the, the best ways to be unhappy. A bald man says, whenever I walk into a, a room full of people, all I see is hair. This is... Of all, all the things in the room for him to see, he's concentrating on one thing. Um, like I said, this is a guaranteed way to be unhappy. And that's the way that we play tricks on ourselves and undermine our happiness by concentrating on the few missing tiles in our lives. Victimhood and ingratitude are tied together. Have you ever maybe worked with someone or you read in the news, you know, about this minority or that minority and, and how they're victims and it's not fair that the way they've been treated. And so in spite of the fact that they live in a country where other people are literally dying trying to get here and they're already in this country, they're concentrated on the one or two things in their life that someone else has told them uh, that they should, they should need or should want. Ceilings can be perfect, but your life can't be. The formula to figure out how unhappy someone is is, uh, uh, I guess, an algebraic formula. It's U is equal to I minus R. Unhappiness is equal to your image of the way things should be minus reality. Now, let's put this into simple terms. A man, a guy graduates from college, and he says, by the time I'm 30 years old, I want to be making $100,000 a year. Well, when he turns 30 years old, things haven't worked out right, and he's only making $50,000 a year. His image was $100,000. He's making $50,000. 
subtract 50 from 100, that leaves 50,000. He's got a $50,000 unhappiness factor. And we do this. That's why people, we, you hear the term a midlife crisis. Uh, a guy or, or a woman, they think, boy, when I get to be this age or this place in my life, you know, I'll be, I'll be settled in my career. I'll be making a certain amount of money. I'll be happily married. My kids will be good kids, and my kids will go to college. But then reality sets in. John Glennon said that life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. And so we make all these plans, and then 10 or 15 years later, our plans didn't work out. So we had this image of how things were going to be. But then here's the reality of how things are, in that we get unhappy. We have a midlife crisis. We have an image that we'll get married and live happily ever after. And then we get married and we have a big blow-up fight and one of us threatens to leave. Maybe one of us does leave. We have kids and, and uh, maybe one or two of them are good, but then... That one kid, we have more trouble with this one kid than all the rest put together. You've got the image of what you thought it would be like and the reality of what it is. And then there's health. You know, generally when we're young, we're very healthy. And then as we get older, our health deteriorates sometimes very quickly, you know, at an early age. I remember one time we was a paramedic. And most of our patients were older people. You know, hearts are starting to get weak, and you say, what meds are you on? And they'll give you a list of 10 medicines that they're on. You know, but it's kind of to be expected when you get to be 70 and 80 years old. These bodies don't last forever. You've got to start taking, you know, trying to fix it. I remember one time we went to a, a guy. We made an ambulance call to a guy, and he was certainly no older than 30. And we always ask, you know, do you have any allergies to medicines? What medicines are you on? What's your medical history? And he had a list of medicines as long as what 80-year-old people take. He was just born with heart problems. And he was on 8 or 10 or 12 medicines at age 30. That is so bad. You get the reality of how we think things will be and then, or the image of how we think things will be and then, and then reality. We read in the Bible about Christianity and church and elders and deacons and, and uh, love one another. And then we get involved in a real congregation and we find out that the people in our congregation aren't perfect. And there's some problems. We've got the image of what we think church should be like and then we've got the reality of what it's like to be a member of a church. So we can, uh, our unhappiness is the image that we have in our head of how we want things to be and then the reality of how things are. And I think the younger generation now has under, got a lot bigger burden than us older people had, and that is social media. Because you can get all sorts of filters, Snapchat filters and, and stuff. You can take the picture of yourself and, and put animal ears on you or all sorts of stuff you can do. But also the women can make themselves look a lot better than what they do in real life. Social media, we can talk about all the good things we've done and all the successes we've had and not mention anything about our failures and the, our sins. 
And so you look on social media and you think, boy, the world's a wonderful place and my life is miserable. What's wrong? Well, you're getting your idea of the image of how life is for some people and the reality of how it is for yours. Just remember this, that social media is not real. <coughs> so if ingratitude is so bad, can make our lives so miserable, what's the solution? Well, the first solution is to get a better image of how you think life should be. Paul wrote to Timothy, um, I think it's 1 Timothy. I wrote down 2 Timothy, I can't find it. It says, um, okay, here it is. But godliness with contentment is great gain. But we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Here's the image that Paul wants us to have. Having food and clothes, with these we shall be content. Boy, when I'm 30 years old, I want to be the president or maybe vice president of a company, and I want to be making $200,000 a year, and I want to have the perfect wife and the perfect kids and go on vacations all around. Wait. God said, if you've got food and clothes, you need to be happy with that. Does everyone here have food and clothes? Food and clothes minus food and clothes equals zero. We should all be happy. There shouldn't be any unhappiness in our life. We should have the image that God wants us to have of how life is supposed to be. Matthew 16, verse 26 says, For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world? Make the 200,000 to 500,000. Have the big cars. What is the man profited if he's got all that? and then goes to hell. God is putting things in perspective. Here's what you want. Here's what everyone else wants. Here's what you should be concerned about. That's the image we should have. Um, Paul wrote Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, I think, says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in this life shall suffer persecution. Lynn Anderson had a song back in the 70s. She said, I never promised you a rose garden. And that could kind of be God's theme song to us when we're saying, oh, woe is me. Why is my life so miserable? <laughs> Wait a minute. I never promised you a rose garden. As a matter of fact, the opposite was promised, that this life would be difficult. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the flowers, how they grow, and God takes care of them. He says, so therefore, don't take any thought for tomorrow. Sufficient to the day is the evil in it. Even Jesus said that each day would have problems. That's the image we should have. Not living happily ever after. That's what fairy tales tell us. God says anyone who wants to be a Christian is going to have a hard time. Actually, everyone's going to have a hard time. Even Christians. Um... We need to be thankful for everything that we have. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James says when bad times come, when you have a hard time with something, you need to be thankful for that. 
And there was a lady named Corey Tenboom, and she was born in the late 1800s in uh, the Netherlands. And then when the Nazis came to power in Germany during World War II, she and her family got thrown into prison, or maybe her dad was already dead, but she and her sister were in prison, concentration camp. And where Corey and her sister Betsy were in this particular barracks, the fleas were extremely bad. And I don't know if you've ever been in a house that's got fleas. You just can't sleep. I mean, they just keep biting. You just can't ignore it. And the fleas were very bad. And at this time, Corey wasn't really a, a faithful person, but her sister is. And Betsy told Corey, he said, uh, the fleas are here for a reason. Let's thank God for the fleas. Well, it turns around that the Nazis went into each barracks and they would grab some of the people out and they would take them out and beat them. But the Nazis didn't want to go into the back of the barracks where the fleas were so bad. So Corey and her sister and all the others in the back of the, the barracks were spared these beatings. It's my choice between beatings and fleas, I'll take fleas. And so we need to, the Bible teaches us repeatedly to be thankful when hard times come. Um, Charles de Gaulle said, a man of character finds a special attractiveness in difficulty since it is only coming to grips with difficulty they can realize its true potential. Someone else said that uh, struggle doesn't equate to pain. Struggle equates to progress. And if you look back at anything you've ever accomplished in life, whether it's a college degree or learning a musical instrument or, or rising you know, up in your business, there were a lot of hard times. And you, things are easy now, and you kind of forget the hard times, but if you stop and think, it wasn't easy getting where you are now. So when hard times come, we don't need to be upset. We need to develop the image of life the way God uh, wants us to have. The second thing we need to do is control our thoughts. And you say, I can't control what I think about. Sure you can. Sometimes I lay in bed at night and I wake up in the middle of the night for some reason and when you're tired and you want to be asleep and it's dark and you're there by yourself and don't have anyone to talk to, your mind can really run away. And you can start worrying and just thinking of all the bad things in your life and making mountains out of molehills. And used to, I would do that. But now what I'll do if I, that happens is I get up and I get my phone out and I play solitaire or crossword puzzle book. I do something to quit thinking. And I'll get sleepy and I'll go back to bed. And sometimes I'll almost be asleep and a thought will jump into my mind. I may have to get up a second time and play solitaire, crossword puzzle. I can control what I think about. And so can you, Paul, or, uh, Paul wrote the Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely or pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We can control our thoughts. You find that someone that's 
for one reason or another, got a miserable life. And I'm not talking about health or, you know, being in a bad car wreck. I'm not talking about things like that. I'm just talking about just their general attitude and their general life is miserable. Listen to them talk. You'll find out that they really dwell on the negative. So one way is to develop a new perception. Another way to be thankful is to control our thoughts. And the third way is to think of all the things that you would be upset about if you lost them and then be thankful for them. Well, the obvious things are your husband, your wife, your kids, parents, your brothers and sisters, your friends here at church, your health. We'd be upset if we lost those things. We're going to, you know, Lyle Miller was my step cousin because his grandfather married my grandmother. So we're, I guess not step, we're uh, cousins-in-law. Um, we don't want to lose those people. But think about the other things. What would you be upset about if you didn't have it? When you get ready to go today and you can't find your car keys, are you going to be upset? Well, yeah. Are you thankful for your car keys? What about the chair you're sitting on? You're not standing up. You're not sitting on a hard bench or a rock or a tree. Are you thankful for the chairs you're sitting in? What about the clothes you wear? Everyone got a coat that they can put on when they go outside and it's cold or an umbrella. Be thankful for the clothes. What about the guy that was up all night working night shift at the power plant? So when you got up this morning, you walk in and you push the button and you have a cup of coffee and you turn on the radio or the TV or your cell phone, you know, it's been charging all night. Are you thankful for the guy that's been up all night? What about the policeman up all night, just now getting home? Sleepy, had a hard night, had to deal with drunks and domestic disputes. He was up all night. So if there was a problem at your house, you could call the 911 operator who was up waiting for your call, and there'll be someone there to help you or an ambulance right away. Are you thankful for them? What about the military right now? In foreign countries, fighting wars, protecting us, standing guard right now, watching radar, operating the aircraft carriers monitoring what the Chinese are doing. There's lots of people that our lives depend on. Are you thankful for all them? Think of all the things that you would be upset about if you lost and then be thankful for those. Are you thankful for your house? There are people that lost their house in a fire last night and all their possessions, family photos. What about your job? You could go in tomorrow and not have a job for one reason or another. Are you thankful for that? So many things. I talked earlier about living in the United States, and people are literally dying, crossing the desert. They're drowning in the ocean. They're being shot by communist guards trying to get from where they are to right here. We've got so much to be thankful for. Do you realize that Solomon, in all his glory, did not have a microwave, a dishwasher, refrigerated air conditioning, a car, a pickup, an ATV. He didn't have TV, DVR. He didn't have anything. Up until, I don't know, 17, 18, 1900s, depending, there was no such thing as penicillin. 
there were no vaccines. There were, there were doctors to some extent, but not like what we have now. There was no anesthesia. You know, you can get an ailment, you can get a rash or a sore in your mouth or something. You can go to the drugstore. And years ago, someone already came up with this medicine and they produced it and it's sitting on that shelf. So when you get this ailment, you can go and the pharmacist says, yeah, this will get rid of it in 12 hours. Medicines are a relatively new thing in the world. Most of us have never lived through war, civil war. Mike says when he goes to Nigeria, they'll be traveling from, you know, from Denton to McKinney and they get halfway there and there's a roadblock and there's these guys with guns and you've got to pay them. You don't have any trouble. No gangs, no wars, no civil wars, no starvation. You don't live in North Korea with tyrants where the people are starving to death. We've got so much to be thankful for. The Bible says that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So are we going to be like the one who was thankful? Or are we going to be like the nine who were not thankful? And then I haven't even talked. I'm just talking about physical things this morning. I haven't even begun to talk about spiritual things. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You've heard it said, seen it on Facebook, maybe, says that one or you and God is a majority. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world were laid, we read in Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Before he even started that, before the foundation was laid, God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus got together. And God said, I'm going to create humans, but the problem is they're going to be imperfect and they're going to commit sins. What are we going to do about that? And Jesus said, I will die in their place so they can have forgiveness of sin. And Peter says, before the foundation of the world, that plan was already in effect. And so we, here we sit this morning. And uh, we look at all the ceiling tiles of our life. They're perfect. Perfect. Don't focus on the, the one or two. There was a little girl, uh, Christine. She was eight years old. And they asked her what she wanted for her birthday. The problem with Christine is she had cancer of the nervous system. And she wasn't going to live. And they asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And she said, well, I've got two coloring books and a cabbage patch doll. So I've got everything. I don't know what else I would need. Look at how perfect our lives are. And be thankful for everything we have. And don't concentrate on the one or two missing ceiling tiles. Of course, this lesson leaves, leaves the door open for lots and lots of applications this afternoon. So... You guys be thinking about that. So I hope the things that I've talked about this morning help us to, to realize how richly God has blessed our lives. And I thank you for Think about these things and, uh, and not be pessimistic. I think we'll find that our, uh, just our own emotional well-being will be better. Our marriages will be better. 
we can deal with our kids better, we can enjoy our jobs more. And so uh, meditate on these things that we've talked about. Meditate on God's Word. We always have a song of invitation. Maybe there was something that was said or read that got you thinking, or maybe you've been thinking about other things. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is, if you don't like where you are, you can change. You're not a tree. <laughs> make that decision this morning while we sing the song of invitation that you're going to make the change in your life. You're going to get the help. You're going to do things differently. So think about that while we sing the song of invitation.